So we are in um, this new series we started a couple weeks ago called the I Am Series. And I launched this series with the intention of looking at the seven I Am statements found in the book of John. Um, This proclamation that Jesus makes where he says, I am these seven things. Uh, I went into the etymology of, of the Hebrew language and, and the word Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, and, and the significance of the Hebrew phrase where uh, God tells Moses, I am who I am. And that is the way that he refers to himself. And, the, and when they ask, who sent me? He says, tell him the I am sent me. He is the state of being where he is who he is. He is the essence of all things. He is the beginning and the end. He is who he is. He is. And throughout the entire Old Testament, when, when uh, the Israelites referred to God, they referred to him as the great I am. Right? So when Jesus pops on the scene and he starts preaching and teaching the Pharisees and, and the crowds that were gathering and his disciples around him, when he makes these statements and says, I am, in essence, he is proclaiming to be the great I am. That Jesus is God, fully God, in human form, fully man, fully God. Okay, So the divinity is intact, the humanity is intact. He is one who can relate with us in all ways and in all manners because he was a human, just as we were human, tempted in all the same ways that we've been tempted, yet he was perfect in all ways, as God is perfect. And in so doing, he became this uh, mediator between man and God, to where now we can approach God with confidence like we did in those worship songs this morning because of who Jesus is and what he offers to us. He becomes that bridge that divides the gap between God and humanity. Okay? So, so far in this series, we've gone, or we're going to go through uh, I Am the Gate this week. We've gone through the I Am the Bread of Life, right, in John chapter 6. And then we kind of skipped around a little bit. We had Jim come in last week, and he talked about I am the true vine. And this week, we're going to get to I am the gate. I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought, this is kind of cool how this is working out. Jesus presents these um, phrases or these metaphors to say, I am these things in in a way where he can really relate to the people he's speaking to, right? When he says, I am the bread of life, He's talking to a group of people that know the the whole oral tradition of the Israelite history where God provided manna uh, for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. And in in thinking about who we've asked to come speak, I was like, oh, that that was a good one for me to speak because I like making bread. I'm a bread maker, right? I worked at a bakery for a while, and I like the intricacies of the process, the um, getting the, the, all the... Man, now I'm forgetting all the terms. The yeast to rise, right? And as it works its way through all the flour and the dough, it causes the, the dough to grow and, and get larger. And it's like, I, I know bread. I love bread. Okay? Bringing in Jim last week, he's an amateur winemaker, right? So it was amazing that he could teach us about the vine and how you can cut and prune the vine and, and the pain of that. But he has physically experienced it, and he knows hands-on experience. In the same way, Jesus, as he's speaking to the Israelites in this, in this passage, they would know about the vines. They're farmers, right? So they know the plants. They know the culture. They know the viticulture. They know bread. They know that he's speaking in a way that 
the people who are hearing it know the, the metaphors that he's making. As we get to this one, um, we're going to be talking about the gate. And I was trying to think of, well, if we had a bread maker and a winemaker, who could we bring in to talk about gates? That is not I. I'm not a, a gate maker. Um, but I thought, if, we, if I knew someone who was a software engineer, that would be an awesome example. Because when he starts talking about a gate, it might be hard for us to picture, what does he mean, I am the gate? Okay. Just to try to give you a relevancy, in my, in my thought process, I was like, today's modern gate is a password, right? If you wanted to get into your computer, right, and you wanted to access your email, you have to put in a password, right? It is the gatekeeper to the pin that you're trying to get into. It is the gatekeeper to the mailbox that you want to enter into, all right? So when we're thinking about this, I'm not a software engineer, um, but I am a pastor. And so in the, in the old days, a gate was used to keep the sheep inside of the pen. And so we're going to kind of talk about what this means, okay, to be a sheep and the gate that keeps the sheep in the pen allows them to come in and to go out. So, okay, back, back to the sheep. Of all domesticated animals, all right, sheep are the most helpless. Have you guys ever seen sheep? Does anybody know sheep? Anybody do 4-H? No? Okay. Sheep are helpless. Um, sheep will spend their entire day grazing with their heads down in the grass eating. And they'll wander from place to place and they'll, they'll never even look up. And the, the significant thing about sheep is they have no homing device, right? Like if you let a, if your dog gets out of your house and he starts to run away, he has this, this inkling of where home is. So he can go out and he'll usually come back unless he's like my dog and he'll just run, right? Sheep don't have that homing device where it's like, okay, this is where home is. I'm going to go back to where my house is. They're totally incapable of finding their way back to the sheep pen. Even if it's in plain sight, they don't recognize it. There's no recognition of that's the pen that I need to go back to. By nature, sheep are followers. And so if one sheep leads, uh, if the lead sheep is, is leading all of these sheep and he, wa- and he wa- walks off of a cliff, some of those sheep are going to follow him walking all the way off the cliff. I, I thought it was kind of funny. I was talking to, I think it was Daria the other day, and uh, she was telling me a story about someone asked her, if all of your friends jumped off of a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? And she's like, heck no, that's dumb. I'm going to be the first one to jump off the bridge. Everybody else will follow me. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Thank you, Daria. You always make me laugh. Okay. So there's several things about sheep and the shepherd. And I'm not going to go too much into the shepherd because next week, Kira is going to come talk to us about uh, the good shepherd. Today, I want to focus more specifically on the gate. Okay? But just to give a little bit of premise for it, uh, there's several tasks that the shepherd is in charge of. Okay? The shepherd is, one, in charge of keeping their flock intact. Okay? They're in charge of keeping them together and know where they are at. Secondly, they're in charge of protecting the flock from predators. Okay, they are the, the keeper of those sheep. They are the ones that make sure that they, the wolf doesn't come and take them away. Thirdly, 
they take it and they guide it to certain areas where they're either sheared or trimmed or whatever needs to happen for the upkeep of the sheep. The shepherd goes and takes them and they are responsible for that. In ancient times, shepherds also um, milked their sheep and made cheese from this milk. Few shepherds do that today. I thought it was funny because every time I typed in shepherd, like Googling what is the duties and responsibilities of a shepherd, they all related to um, pastoring, shepherding, and pastoring, pastoring. And I was like, well, I'm not doing number four. If that one doesn't really relate to uh, pastoring, that's more of the actual shepherding part with the sheep, right? So in John chapter 10, if you guys have your Bibles, we can go ahead and open up there and we're going to read um, where we get this scripture from. The shepherd and his flock. It says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. In, in reading this first, these first five verses, I did think about if you have your email inbox, right, and you have a password into your email, if somebody else comes in through a back door or through a firewall and they enter into your email by some other way than typing in the password, they've come in maliciously to try to steal something, your information or something that has been written, right? In the same way, this sheep pen, right, has been built so that there is one entrance into this sheep pen, and it is the gate, the gate by which all sheep come and go, the password by which gives you entrance into and out of the sheep pen. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them, okay? So even in, in language where he's like, hey, you guys understand sheep? This is what I'm talking about. The gate keeps all the sheep in the pen, right? The gate also allows the sheep to go out into the pastures to feed and then come back in. It is the gateway for the sheep to enter and exit. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, okay? When someone repeats himself, he's trying to make an emphasis on that point. He continues and says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think sometimes it's easy to read this section of Scripture and look more heavily at the shepherd Yes, we will get to the shepherd. The shepherding part of Jesus is very important, but he says it twice here. I am the gate. I am the gate, the gateway to the pin. And if we are going to reckon what this pin is, I would say Jesus is saying he is the gate into the kingdom of heaven. 
The pin is the kingdom of heaven. If we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have to go through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only gate. If you are trying to enter in from some other way, which for some reason our culture has preached so many different ways that, that every road leads to God, it does not. You cannot earn your way in through some back door into the kingdom of heaven. You can't do a million good works and earn your way over the wall into the pin. You cannot do it. If you are trying to get your way into heaven in some other way, then through the gate, you are a thief or a robber. Jesus says, I am the gate. And no one is going to enter into the pin unless it is through me. I am the gate into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only way into salvation. And you might try to think or try to figure out different ways to get into the kingdom of heaven through different avenues of religion or work or success or paying dividends or whatever it is that you might think gets you into that spot, but it will never work. He is the only way to salvation. He is the exclusive way to God. He is the gate through which we must enter into it and experience forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life, right? If we want to get into the pin that the sheep are kept in, because it says we are all like sheep. We have all gone astray, right? He likens us humans, us people, us his creation to be sheep. We are sheep that wander throughout. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? The song that we sing sings just that, that we are all prone to wonder. We are prone to go astray. If we want to be kept into the pin, we've got to enter through Jesus. Jesus provides the protection and the security. The gate doesn't just keep you into or bring you into the kingdom of heaven, but it offers a protection and a security from all other enemies that might be trying to get their way in. If any of the enemies are coming against you, they have to go through the gate in order to get into the pen. Jesus is standing at that gate saying, no, you are not allowed. If you are a wolf trying to get into my sheep pen, I'm going to take you out, Right? He offers the protection and the security that we as sheep need in order to exist within the kingdom of God. It's a barrier against predators and dangers. It keeps the sheep safe in the pen. And then he wraps it up in verse 10, and he says, The thief, those who are trying to make their way into the pen, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Make no mistake, God wants you to have an abundant life full of, of joy and, and, and passion. And he lets us in and out. He lets them out of the gate so that they go, go into the pasture and enjoy the, the full, lush, green pastures, right? And when, he talks, when Kira talks about the shepherd, he'll talk about how he guides these sheep into these pastures and he'll watch over them, and we'll get to experience the fullness of life. We, we just came out of a series on the kingdom of God, right? We experience the kingdom of God in the pen. This is the earthly realm. However, we also go back into the, or sorry, this is the heavenly realm. We also go into the earthly realm and experience the fullness of life. 
as Jesus lets us out through the gate into the world to be a part of the world experiencing an abundance of life. This made me think. In some versions of the Bible, they translate this verse as, I am the door. And so I I did some study and some research into the doors that surrounded Jerusalem. So, as a metaphor, if sheep are being ushered into their pen, they've got to enter through a gate. If we change that metaphor into talking about humans and people, and we look at the context of where he is living, you could translate this as door. And following that metaphor, people have to enter into the old city of Jerusalem through what they had was eight different gates. Okay? If you have not been to Israel, I would love to take you there. It would be super fun. There are eight entrances into the old city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the old city, is divided into four different quadrants. Okay? We have the Christian quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Armenian quarter, and the Jewish quarter. Each of those, in a tiny, compact little space, are occupied by those respective religious groups. Okay? In order to get into this old city, you have to either go through Herod's Gate, the Damascus Gate, the New Gate, the Jaffa Gate, Zion Gate, Dung Gate, Golden Gate, or Lion's Gate. Okay? There are eight different entrances into the city. This first one is the Damascus Gate. Okay? This is the Damascus Gate. It's the largest and most ornate of the, the gates, and it's related to its original name because it heads towards Damascus. If you're leaving out of this gate, you're heading in the direction of Damascus. The second one, this is Herod's Gate, built by Herod, uh, restored to to what it would have looked like um, back when Herod had built it. And it's the entrance into the Muslim quarter through the northern wall. So if you want to get into the Muslim quarter, you go in through Herod's Gate. This one is the Golden Gate, or the Mercy Gate. This one fascinates me. Why does this fascinate me? What, what do you guys notice when you're looking at this gate? It's closed, right? It's been sealed up. It's been sealed up because back in, I think it was the 1500s, the Muslim, the, the Suleiman, who was in, in power at that time, read the scriptures, the Old Testament. This gate is the gate that apparently, if we take a little view back, the gate that Jesus entered into on a donkey, right? He entered in through this gate because up here on this part behind this wall is the Temple Mount where they believe the old temple was built, where it, was, uh, where it existed. And so when, when he entered in through this gate, he was entering into the temple. If you read through Ezekiel, one of the common prophetic understandings through different theologians is that when Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to enter through this gate. What's significant about that is that something is going to have to change right here. Right now, on this side of the wall, the Muslims have control. Islam is in control of this land right behind here. 
This is why there's a ton of tension in Israel. Because the, Jew, the Israelites, the Jews, believe that they will occupy this land someday, and their Messiah will come and enter through this gate. The Christians believe that Jesus said when he left, he, he's going to return in the same way that he left. Well, when he left, he was carried through these gates, and so they believe when he returns, he is going to return through this gate. It's prophetic literature that has not occurred yet, but is something that a lot of theologians are waiting for or watching to see when is this prophetic fulfillment going to happen, okay? The next one, <laughs> this is the dung gate, okay? The dung gate is on the south side of Israel, or south side of Jerusalem, because this is where they would take their trash and toss it down the hill, okay? It's on the south side, so you get rid of that. Just on the other side of this, uh, this little section here, you can walk in here in the western wall where the Jewish quarter is up there where they'll go and they will pray. It is the passageway into the old city today. Okay. The Zion Gate, this one's unique in that in the 1948 war, I believe it was, there were all these, these pop marks from different guns when they started to siege the old city, and it remains there today. Okay. But it enter, if you want to enter in through the Zion Gate, you'll enter into the Jewish quarter, I believe. Next one is the Jaffa Gate. Okay. The Jaffa Gate is the second largest gate, and it is historically used, um, it was historically used by dignitaries, so if they wanted to sneak people in, they would come in through this gate, um, and the British Army used it in 1917. Two more here. The New Gate, called New Gate because it's the newest of the eight gates, and then the last one that I want to get to is the Lion's Gate. The Lion's Gate, if I can go back to this one here. The Lion's Gate is right here. This gate is significant because those who were coming to the temple to offer sacrifice would bring their sacrifice in through the Lion's Gate so that they could enter up. This used to be the Temple Mount controlled by the temple of Israel, they would bring their sheep in through here and up to the temple. So the cleansing area for the sheep and the slaughtering of the animal would happen in this area to where they could sacrifices, sacrifice it up in the temple mount. What has happened to this gate since the destruction of the temple in AD 70 is that they changed the name from Sheep Gate to Lion's Gate. That should give you chills. The reason why they've changed this name is because Jesus entered in, as Jesus was entering in through Jerusalem, right? This is where the Via Dolorosa would have started, was over here. And he would enter in through this gate as a sheep, as if he were being offered as a sacrifice for all. The last time that he walked through that gate was in his ascension to the cross. And as he took on all of the pain, the suffering, the sacrificial 
need to fulfill all the requirements of the Old Testament law of a sacrifice. He made an atonement for all of our sins that we no longer would have to go make sacrifices because we're no longer sheep. He's no longer a sheep that's been slain. He is now a lion that has overcome all things. The gate at which Jesus is proclaiming to us that he is, is that sacrificial gate. And the password that he is saying, if you want to enter in through this gate, the password is your entire life. If you want to enter into the gate, into the sheep pen, if you want to enter through the gate of Jesus Christ, he says, I just want one thing from you. You are allowed to go into the kingdom of heaven, but I want your entire life. I'm saying it's not easy to become a Christian. It's easy in the sense that, yes, all you need to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he says, die to yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow him. The password, the gate, the, the line that says this is those who believe and, are enter- and get entrance into the kingdom of heaven and those who do not are those who have said, yes, Lord, you are my God. I confess with my mouth that you are the Christ. You are the sheep that was slain. You are the the lamb that was hung on the cross for me. And now you are the lion that has overcome all things. And so my life is now yours. And you give it all to him. And when we give it all to him, he says, now you may enter into the king of, kingdom of heaven and I will be your salvation and I will be your protector and I will be your security for all of these things. I will offer you all of the riches and all of the, the, the gifts of the kingdom of heaven if you are in return willing to give me your entire life. The reason why I want to preach it this way is because I think we've made it too easy. We've said, yes, all I have to do is say I believe in Jesus and then that's it. It's not He doesn't want us just to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. That is the first step. But we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to die to ourselves daily and regularly, saying it is no longer my will that I am seeking, but now it is God's will that I am seeking. That is a difficult, difficult teaching. Are we establishing kingdoms of man, or are we seeking to establish the kingdom of heaven. And when we have that access into the kingdom of heaven, he says, now, come, receive in the kingdom of heaven. I am going to allow you in. I am the gate that is allowing you into the kingdom of heaven. Come, taste and see the goodness of God. But now, you still exist in heaven. Now, go back out into the pastures and share exactly what you have tasted and seen. Lay down your life for me. Now, go and share it with others. This is the abundant life that he is offering in John 10.10. He says this, if you have come and you've tasted and you've seen the kingdom of heaven, you've experienced the abundant, full life of Christ. I am the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate. The gate. Would you guys go ahead and pray with me? Worship team, come on up.
Jesus, I know some of us are walking through the pastures aimlessly or, or astray. And we are in need of a shepherd to guide us and lead us back to the pin. I know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have gone to our own ways. All of us have sought things that are not of the kingdom of God. As we stand at the gate to the entrance of the kingdom of heaven, we proclaim no other name but Jesus. Our password is Jesus. Our response is our entire life. So God, as we stand at the gate, as we stand before you, may we proclaim no other name but Jesus. You are our hope. You are our peace. You are our life. You are our joy. And we put all of our our trust in the sacrifice that you gave through the sheep gate unto the cross that you are no longer a sheep but you are a lion who overcame the death of the sheep you are a lion who protects the pen you are a lion who goes out amongst the pastures and walks around the sheep and says anybody who wants to challenge me will have to face the king God, you are our king. And it is unto you that we submit. We submit our wives, our children, our husbands, our family, our friends, our jobs, our careers, our pathway to success, our good times, our hard times, our challenges, our illnesses, our weaknesses, our strengths. All things we submit to you because you are our king. God, I pray that you would fulfill your promises in allowing us entrance into the kingdom of heaven and that we might taste that kingdom of heaven here and now so that when we go back out through the gate and graze into the pastures, our lives would have no other option but to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. God, I pray that our times of quietness would be spent in the kingdom of heaven experiencing the goodness of God, that it would overflow from us. The words that we speak, the actions that we perform would all be a result of time spent in the kingdom of heaven, in the pin that you have allowed us to enter into. All of this, God, is just a deep deep-rooted desire that we would know you, God, that we would be in your presence and our lives would reflect that presence of God. God, may our songs represent that. May our songs reflect that, that you are here, that you are with us, you are moving into each one of our hearts and dwelling us, the Spirit of God moving amongst us. If we are in need of prayer, might we reach someone next to us and say, God, Or a friend, would you pray for me in the name of Jesus? I need healing. I need hope. 
God, I pray that you would move as we sing these songs in reflection in your name. Amen.